Country Roads Take Me Home. The 2017 anthem, <laughs> but the one you stand up for. Luckily, there was fewer anal sex references in this film, but it wasn't completely absent. Yeah, I was going to say, there was something there for the fans. <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Kingsman film, which is Kingsman, The Golden Circle, starring Taron Egerton, Colin Firth, and Mark Strong. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, and welcome into episode 128 of Film Tank. It's just the two of us today, myself and Nick Cheney. Hey, what's up? I know. So excited to be here. I know, good Fonz impersonation. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't even trying. I, so good, I hope. I noticed. Um, I've done quite a few episodes, just me and you here, uh, throughout yeah. this summer, as uh, Toussaint's had other things going on, and uh, he wasn't able to make it tonight, so you know what? we I... don't have a guest, so it's just me and you. That is true. You know what? Mm-hmm. I, I cherish this. I cherish us. And, yep, there we go. Okay. Just... We're holding hands now. Now we are, and we're not letting go no. until the episode ends. Full episode. It's going to be hard to drink beer and, and hold hands at the same but time. But you know what? Life is hard, but as long as you got someone right by your side. <laughs> I know, I know. Tearing up over here. We are going to tearing get... Tearing up this beer. Woo! <laughs> tearing up this beer. Because that's the thing people say. Yeah. They might in the Kingsman universe. Oh. They got back into that whole Southern thing a little bit and hit yeah. that a little hard in that one scene. So <laughs> we'll get to that. And we'll get to Kingsman, the Golden Circle, which yeah. um, I can safely say that I probably would not have seen either of these films, this or the first one, if it weren't for this podcast. And here we are doing another Yay! episode on another Kingsman movie. Yes. Oh, man. What... I know. To what do we owe this? <laughs> so many joys this podcast has brought. My life, you know, Why continued we... friendship with you and Toussaint, Aww. and new friendship with all the guests we've had on that yeah. have a better Except really... Brian, he know what he did. <laughs> and um, yeah, getting to see both the Kingsman movies. Yeah, it's a high point, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the real golden circle was love. <laughs> You went a totally different way with that than I did, but that's no. okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no. Luckily, there was uh, fewer anal sex references in this film, but it wasn't completely absent. Yeah, I was going to say, there was something there for the fans. <laughs> fans of true romance, I might add. Mm. Before we get into it, though, uh, we haven't done a week in review in a hot minute. It's been, yeah. like, months. Yeah. So, um we're going to not do necessarily a week in review, but more like a 
few months in review. I was going to say. Yeah, anything... I'm going to go through everything I've seen. Please don't do that. Oh, my God. We're going to be here for three hours. <laughs> just like Gilligan. Mm. So, would you like to go first? Would you like me to go first? What would you like to do? Eh, either way is fine. <clears throat> I can go first. You can go first. Okay. Uh, so, uh, one thing I definitely wanted to mention, and we've done a whole episode on this, so it doesn't really warrant a long conversation, but I wanted to say that I uh, just recently rewatched the film Baby Driver, uh, which came out earlier this year, directed by Edgar Wright. Uh, we did a whole episode on it, so did. I won't go into detail about anything about how I felt about it. Right other at than... this moment, we're actually going to just replay that episode, yes. and then we'll come back to this episode when it's over. Perfect. Um, so I like this about the same, but I actually liked it a little more the second time through. I know. And uh, I think a lot of the small moments definitely hit a little harder the second time through for me. Kind of so. stepped a little harder on the pedal. There you go. Good analogy, Nicholas. Thank you. So I'm, uh, I'm just a fan of that and, um, yeah, I would definitely, uh, recommend it for sure. Uh, a couple other things that I wanted to get to that I uh, previously viewed in the last, I don't know, month and a half, two months or so. Uh, rewatched the film Pearl Harbor Whoa. Uh, from Michael Bay from right, a, it was right around September 11th. Yeah. It was like 2001, maybe early 2002. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know... If anyone out there has seen it or <laughs> has wanted to see it. I've seen it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cuba Gooding Jr. He's there. Represent. <laughs> Representing what? Black people? On the boat. And chefs. Wasn't he the chef on the boat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He lived. Did he? Yeah. Oh, see, I don't sure. remember. I just like thought everybody died. Well, a lot of people did. Except for the one Except person for- who didn't die and came back with that Ben Affleck. Yeah. Okay. The old love triangle between he, Jennifer, no, not Jennifer Garner, Tyler? Kate, Kate Beckinsale, Kate Beckinsale, and Josh Hartnett, whose yeah. career went so far down the toilet after the mid two thousands. Yeah, but you know he's making a well, he was making a weird comeback because he was in, uh, and people thought he was pretty decent in mm-hmm. um, the Showtime's no, mm-hmm. yeah, Showtime series, mm-hmm. uh, Penny Dreadful. Oh, with uh, Ava Eva, Green, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Timothy Dalton actually had a pretty stacked cast. Anyway. But it, and he's either not on that or that show is canceled? Uh, the show ended after three seasons. Oh, so. okay. It's pretty good for a monster sci-fi show. So. Yeah. Anyway. It's actually becoming a little bit of the norm of these shorter... But you know what? I'd rather... We've talked three... about... we have a full short run instead of getting cut off after four seasons. Well, I was going to say, I'd rather have a three-season run even you know if it gets cut off in its prime than a one season wonder like as much as one season wonders you know like freaks and geeks or something like that where like their magic is preserved because it's like you think they're perfect because they only did like 18 episodes total Mm -hmm. um yeah i'll still take a little bit more even if it gets cut off without warning like a deadwood or something people still want that deadwood movie it's coming for real yep Mm. uh they said that david Milch has basically put the script on HBO's desk, and now they're just trying to figure out schedules. Wow. Yeah. We'll see. It really deserves it, not because the show is so good, which it certainly is, but like the ending is in no way an ending, so 
yeah, it's uh, it would be very like unlike something like Twin Peaks, which just had its third season. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as that was a cliffhanger ending at the end of the second season, like Twin Peaks was weird enough that like anything could go anyway. Mm-hmm. And so that show didn't really need a third season, and it was one of the greatest things I've seen on television in recent memory. So I'm glad a show is getting it that I think actually could use it, yeah. uh, where I already know not where they're gonna go, but why they would want to do it before they So, I guess this would spoil it? But was Ian McShane still around at the end of Deadwood? Um, Uh, It's kind of been a hot minute. I want to say yes. Okay. 99.9% sure yes. Because he was, for the most part, the main character. He was the breakout character. Yeah. The main character was uh, Timothy Oliphant's character. Uh, But it was an ensemble show. But he was definitely, from the first episode on, kind of, like, eclipsing everybody else. Mm. But, yeah. Right on. Well, we'll see. But I'm sure people, uh, it might, you know, the problem is, is it might not that it's the same property or anything like that. But it could suffer absolutely from, when did that end? What is this? Oh, you're saying, Hypothetical is people, like... Even though it clearly was not as good as its predecessor, we saw with uh, the Sin City sequel that nobody gave a shit when that came around. So Yeah, I think the only way for something like the Deadwood movie to work is that they just pick up where they would be this many years later. Mm-hmm. So that way we don't have to think about where it left off and more just like... Why does he look so old now? Yeah, <laughs> and more just like, uh, okay, what are they doing right now and how can we bring it to a semblance of closure? Because... The whole show is about the creating of a community, so it's ripe with forward momentum rather than, like, an actual ending. So they don't really have to do much to end it. They just have to kind of know their ending. Hmm. Okay. I didn't like it. Anyways, getting back to Pearl Harbor. Mm. <laughs> That's where we were. Oh, damn. Yes. I gave this, a, I give this, because I've seen it a few times, I give this a very respectable three out of five rating. Ooh. Which is very high for this film. Yeah. Only because the amount of uh, effects and explosions in this film is really something. <laughs> um, and disrespectful, sure, you could go there. It's got it all over it. You know, this is, for the most part, Transformers without the Transformers. So, and the uh, the dialogue in here is an absolute fucking train wreck. But, yeah. But... At the same time, uh, a lot of people in here, like everyone from Jennifer Garner, who she is actually in this film, to uh, Alec Baldwin, and just a bunch of people just coming and going here, uh, and a lot of them before their prime. So, yeah, Pearl Harbor, a very lackluster film, and it's also fucking long. It's like three hours and eight (laughs) minutes, like a three-hour and eight Michael Bay film. I remember in the... Early days of DVD. It was a two DVD. It is. Yep. It is. Actually, it ends at a weird point, like two hours and 20 minutes into the first disc. Okay. With a speech that John Voigt is giving as the president. And then it goes into the last 40 minutes, which is really <laughs> Okay. I don't know. It's like they just were like, oh, we ran out of space. Bring in the second but, Well, we already copied all the way up until uh, two hours and 20 minutes onto the disc. So should we like redo it? No, no, no. Just put the rest on the other disc. Okay. It's fine. We didn't want another disc, but, you know, here we are. Bay. Bay, come here. The last uh, movie that I will mention is I don't have anything to say about TV because I haven't watched any this entire year, which is uh. really a shame. 
You watched The Handmaid's Tale. I did. I did, actually. Good yeah. call. But Even I haven't watched it yet. That's too bad. It's I really good. I want to. It cleaned up at the Emmys a couple weeks ago. It sure did. Unfortunately, it's going to be forgotten now because that one guy, Sean Spicer, had to show up. So that's great. They let that happen. That's what a fine. legend. It's been a really great year for award shows. You have that. Uh, you have the people at uh, the Oscars giving the wrong envelope to two people who don't have brains anymore. So it's awesome. It's perfect. Hey, man. Bonnie and Clyde are criminals, okay? <laughs> they didn't need brains. Uh, I guess not. I wonder what they would look like if they both hadn't had plastic surgery. Would the, would they look like dead old people? Because Faye Dunaway has had a lot of work done. Yeah. Um, and so has... Uh, Betty. Yeah, so has Warren Beatty. Betty. Betty Beatty. Betty. Warren Beatty. Whatever. The last film hey, I wanted... Warren Beatty. Bam a lamb. Ooh. All right. <laughs> the last film I wanted to mention was a fantastic film. Uh, actually, you know what? They don't want to mention it because <laughs> I think we already did an episode on it. We well, did an episode on Wind River, right? Or not? We didn't. Did we? No. No, we didn't. We didn't. We went and saw it together. Yes. But no, yeah. I was. I got tripped up there in my mind for a second because I was thinking. Why didn't we? I don't know. Like I felt like we were. Mm-hmm. And then, That's weird. For whatever reason, we. Well, didn't. This is a really good conversation for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it's great podcasting. Perfect. Amazing. <laughs> Wind River is a very, very good film that uh, anyone out there who's who's interested in really just good film, they should go see, because I thought it was fantastic. You and I both liked it, which I'm not yeah. saying is rare, but it was rare that we were that much, I think I'm going to say, wavelength as to what we liked about it. Yeah, usually it's kind of action... I don't want to say spy, but I think action thrillers sometimes we get closer to each other. Like, I know... Well, we get close. Oh. I know, like, films like A Most Violent Year, which is more of a drama, but definitely gets involved in that. And then, uh, like, the Raid films we both really like. But yeah, this one uh, definitely follows a much slower burn throughout and then uh, ends with a fantastic finale. Uh, and it's just a really good film. Good acting, even by people who aren't necessarily great actors, but good performances by Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen. And, and even me, John Bernthal. I was going to say, a C- I thought he was a scene-stealing John Bernthal because... He only had one scene. Yeah, he, he does. Which has pretty much become the norm for him. Here, True. So. But other times, and I actually quite enjoy John Bernthal, but other times I don't feel like he was given. But here, I don't know. Like he, I think he really made something out of a very bit part. Yeah. Without, like, playing it up. And it gets into a very um, horrible, serious moment uh, towards the end of his appearance in this film. And I mostly, I think I liked him casted in that because I thought it was against type. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you look at him in Wall Street and whatnot and a few other roles that I think where he's playing a very similar jockish type person. And here, it's almost uncomfortable when you first see him because you're like, oh, God. But then, like, after a few seconds, you realize that he's not playing who he normally does. And that's the that's the nice thing about his character and the nice thing about that, uh, the way that that story is told in that part of the film is uh, 
the audience doesn't really know if he's a bad guy or a good guy. When you are introduced to him, you are aware of who he is. And who you, he associates with. Right, but you don't know necessarily how the whole story played out. And that was another fantastic part of that film, is the way that it moved in and out, and moved throughout time, and at the same time, also, the way it edited them together. So, like, when one person would open a door, it would go into a previous time period that was in that exact same room, yeah. but it's telling you the story that you've kind of heard whispers about yep. and you, you as the audience get filled in as the characters from the current time are only being told the story so it's just a very very good film uh it was uh directed by taylor sheridan yeah uh, who uh wrote both hell or high water and sicario wrote this as well but this was his first directing effort and i think he did a really nice job so wind river uh it's very high on my list this year i thought it was a fantastic film and I enjoyed it. So did I. Good. Um, so just before I go, you're not going to bring up the other movie you loved uh, that we watched, Kiss Me Quick? I saw it. I saw it going <laughs> through my list. Um, but what, what was the distinction? That was a, a nudie cutie? That was so, a nudie yeah. cutie, and it's supposed to be, quote unquote, the best nudie cutie ever made. There had to be some really fantastic films. I'll say this much. From a few that I've seen besides that one, uh, like those are the, I don't know what you want to call it, but the purest form of cinematic boredom. Like, no matter how much nudity is on the screen, it is like a lot. Like, I'm talking like there's, well, I watched one called The Brick Dollhouse, and like, three girls are getting ready to go to a party. So, of course, you actually spend... 10 actual minutes like it was like Birdman-esque as far as how long we were sitting in one take of just a person getting ready for the party uh yeah mm -hmm. anyway at least here there were monsters well sort of and then there's the very odd character from a different planet called Butteris or Buttness or something like Butless. that Buttless yes they were all <laughs> there he was from Buttless oh yeah uh, I Good couldn't. Stuff. I could not stop thinking of some of the horrible comments that the uh, mad scientist made throughout that entire. Because he has the majority of the dialogue yeah. throughout the film, and it's mostly stupid puns and bad jokes and and misogynistic. Yes. Uh, oh man. Like fifty. Like it was misogynistic at that point, but it was also on purpose. Like it's clearly like he's trying to be like, oh, oh, oh. Yes, it's not good. Yes. I've stolen these women. Yes. <laughs> you do not have these there? How do you oh, procreate? Yeah. yeah. You have to do this way instead. Yeah. <laughs> but the technology, I mean, he's got a camera in every uh, room. Anyway, oh, what a fun night. Do you have anything else to add about that film? <sighs> no, not really. Uh, I recommend watching it at least once in your life because it's an experience. Uh, have uh, some alcohol or other substitutes with you. Probably. I mean, it's only a 60-minute movie. It's not like It you're... did not feel that I'm short. Not... Yeah, but just imagine. <laughs> All right, so let's go on to some stuff I actually watched that I want to mention. Mm. I've been re-watching, because I watched them when I was young, but I've been re-watching, the... I did the first three Final Destination movies, which I got to say, uh, I didn't think were going to hold up, but they actually did. I mm. actually liked all three to varying degrees they are 
I think it's funny because as a kid, when I was like 12 or 13 or whatever, and I saw them, uh, I was thinking like, these are scary movies. And of course, now I watch it and it's not that it's now so bad it's funny. It's like, I actually just think that they are actual comedies now. Like, I think half of it is tongue in cheek. Uh, that these are basically the Looney Tunes of horror movies. And I think there's some clever ideas about uh, the movies in general taking that premise and upending horror in general. Like, to be afraid of death is kind of silly if there's no middleman, like a Michael Myers or a, uh, you know, Jason or whatnot. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of these now, actually. I think they might join a yearly rotating Halloween Ooh, schedule. Cause wow, that's ever-growing. It is, actually. <laughs> Um, Did you watch these when you were? Uh, I've seen two of them. I feel like there's a possible not to have at least seen one yeah. when you're growing up. Um, I definitely saw the. Th- now, is the third one the one with the roller coaster? Yes. Okay. I was going to say, when I watched that, I'm like, oh, I bet Alex has seen this. I saw that one in the theater, actually. Yeah. And I have seen the. S- Whichever one has Sean William Scott in That's it. That's the first one. Okay, I've seen yeah. the first one and the third one for sure. Yeah. And I've seen, I think, parts of the other ones, but never the full-length right. experience. <laughs> I do, um, oh, I remember the <laughs> third film because, ooh, is that, um, is that What's-Her-Face in the third one? It's the main character, yeah. Mary Elizabeth Weinstein. Yes. Yes, yes. that's is. what I thought. I was going to say the girl from... Uh, uh, the girl from the uh, Scott Pilgrim. No, I was going to go with that film. We uh, the second Cloverfield movie. Oh yeah, she uh, was also Cap Cloverfield Lane. Yes, yes, that that was her though. Yeah, um, she doesn't age. I I, no. I don't I don't mean to you know sound sexist or anything like that because maybe it does come off like that, but. In like twelve years, I feel like she looks like the same person. I agree. Yeah. So, anyways, um, <laughs> I remember seeing that in the theater. And I just remember getting a kick because it has a very saw vibe to it. That film yeah, does the whole movie is torture porn and that kind like of torture thing. porn, but less torture porn and more uh, money shot. Like they're the porno of I think of horror because yeah. you are literally watching it for one reason, one reason only. And not to mention, if the quote-unquote money shots are not good, you are not going to think of it as a very yeah. good entry in the franchise. Which, that particular entry, the third one, um, obviously has the whole roller coaster bit at the beginning of it, which would be the the big kind yeah. of rollout, which is at the beginning of the film, which is, you know... That's like, also kind of unique to them, is that yeah. like you always want to see the opening of a Final Destination movie, which is kind of crazy, because... You know, usually it's the opposite way around, but that's the way the structure works. Yeah, and the they deaths, were supposed to die. Right, and yeah. the deaths that follow the opening, they're always fun and whatnot, but it's yeah. always the opening that's like the most bloodlust and yeah. whatnot. So, but I always remember the uh, the annoying jerk character, uh, and he goes to the uh, he goes to the funeral for the second friend that dies or something like that. And he's at line in a drive-thru, like a McDonald's or something like that. Yeah. And there's a runaway car. Yeah, a truck with no driver. Yes, uh, rolling down the street. And it's like absurd Austin yep. Powers <laughs> where yep. it's like a mile away and you see it coming. And she's... Well, to be fair mm-hmm. to the situation that it's set up is that it's him and the girl in the car, Mary Elizabeth Wine said. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is... 
there's a car in front of him that won't move, and then a car behind him that's getting annoyed at him because the other car won't move. So they boxed him in, and to the right is a garbage dumpster. Oh. And to the left is the window, the window yeah. you know. So it does set up a situation in which, like, they are literally trapped, like death's design. Um, which, by the way, I was uh, under the influence when I watched the second one, and not just with alcohol. I was also under the influence of love. No. Uh, but when I watched that, holy shit, the way that that... And I think it's the second one in particular. The way that those characters, the main characters, talk about death and death design is one of the funniest things I've ever <laughs> seen because they are taking it so seriously. And this is like, like this isn't even science fiction to them. This is like, like once they've figured it out as far as because like the whole first movie is like them kind of skeptical. Like this seems like death is trying to kill us, but like that's weird, right? Whereas the second movie is like, okay, so death came for us, so now we have to fight death. And and the way I don't know, it was just so bizarrely uh, straightforward. Even the third film has a slightly more looser tale uh, about it. Although I did laugh because the third film. They tie in the supernatural mythology of the Final Destination movies as an explanation for Lincoln's assassination and 9-11. There's a moment when Mary Elizabeth Weinstein's character, bless her heart, by the way, for having to deliver these lines, uh, talking to that kind of jock character, and Mm -hmm. she's like, no, look at this. And so she holds up pictures of Lincoln and uh, the plane shadow going across the two towers it's like look these are the patterns and like whatever it, it yeah so anyway final destination the the only movie to truly call out what caused 9-11 right there or i should say final destination three now were there four or five. five of those there were five and i plan on watching all five I true mean, warrior right there i am yeah so yeah, so anyway, those are really enjoyable. And if you, <laughs> if you watch them when you were young and you think that they might not hold up, try it again because I thought they were fun. Um, the other movie I watched was another horror called Train to Busan, which was a Korean film in hmm. which a Korean man and his very young daughter get on a train to Busan. Uh at the same time, a medical outbreak is happening, which is very much a zombie plague, but more uh, more grounded in an actual medical like virus, so to speak, like it always is. And um, it's about them because they cannot stop at the stop that they want to because the outbreak is really happening worldwide, so they're on the train, but then there is a zombie on the train that starts infecting the people, so it becomes this kind of Snowpiercer-esque uh, movement from car to car just to stay alive, and there's some really good action scenes in it. Like, that's the thing. It was way more impressive as an action film because there were some really good zombie, like, fight scenes, hmm. um, and it wasn't really scary. It was just, like, a really good thriller, so uh, it's on Netflix if anybody wants to watch it. It's called Train to Busan, and the last thing I'll talk about um, was in my... Let's see. Oh, all right, I'll talk about this movie. Uh, this one is called Psychos in Love, and this was put out by Vinegar Syndrome, a company I like to bring up here, uh, the Criterion Collection of Smut. And this was an independent horror film in which... That's never a good start. Oh, well, it is for these guys. Uh, in which two people, a man and a woman, who are psychopaths, f- uh, find each other and fall in love. And then, like, they get, you know, they're... 
kicks off of murdering people in each other's company. Like it's like it's a very standard kitschy indie horror plot, but it has such a weird sense of humor about itself. Like there are moments when um, they're having like their drama or whatever, and it's and it is a comedy, and then like all of a sudden. Like the guy turns to the cameraman and is like, "Can you give us a minute?" Like, even though it's not a documentary, like there are just weird moments where they clearly knew that they were doing an independent movie, so like they just thought that they should break the fourth wall every so often for no real reason. And I actually thought it was funny. Uh, there's even the greatest thing ever, which is halfway through the movie, there is a montage in which the two psychopaths are like just having like a cute little lovely montage of them killing people and walking in the park. But the montage is set to an original song called Psychos in Love. And it is the most adorable thing I have ever seen. And it pretty much made the entire movie. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. It's fantastic. Wow. uh, That song. (laughs) That's... Yeah, the movie, I will say, I did kind of actually enjoy the special effects because it's pre-CGI were mm. really fun because it doesn't matter if it looks realistic. It just has to look gross, and yeah. it did. Mm. So, uh, yeah, if you're ever looking for something just truly bizarre, that is the exact kind of movie that you would find at 2 a.m. and, like, remember it the next day, like, did it, what I remember happened actually happen? It did. So, yeah. Yes. But if you just want a good taste of it, YouTube Psychos in Love theme song, it'll change your life. Wow. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Just, we're helping people out here. I think so. You. Speaking of uh, kind of the horror genre, coming up here in October, we're going to be doing a lot of, uh, of horror-esque films. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're definitely going to be doing an episode on the Jigsaw film, which is the eighth installment in the Saw series. do do Billy's Billy's back. Yeah, it's, it's gonna be, it's probably gonna be terrible. But we're gonna go see it hey, and do an episode. It's gonna I be have, bad. I I have high hopes. Well, I got high hopes. I have hopes because I like the two brother directors, which is the first time this mm-hmm. franchise has actually gotten directors who have made films before. <laughs> I'm just saying, like that's kind of a key. Yeah. It's always been. The very first film, which was their debut film, mm-hmm. or it's been an executive producer taking over the reins yeah. of, from a previous sequel or whatever. So at least here, and I can guarantee you one thing, whether it's a good movie or a bad movie, uh, the two brothers, I, f- I forget what their names are, like mm-hmm. the Duffer brothers or something, I don't know. They're a filmmaker uh, brothers from Australia. Uh, they do have a sense of style, which is unique to them. So I good. think that they are actually... From their movies, because they did a vampire movie called Daybreakers, which mm-hmm. wasn't a great movie. I liked it, but I didn't love it. But was directed with some pretty good finesse for being a first film. So uh, I actually think they're pretty well-suited to try to revive this franchise. That would be nice. Right. It definitely had a whimper uh, there yeah. the last four entries. Yeah. Even if I enjoyed the sixth, uh, they all pretty much are just going through the motions. So, And then we're actually going to do a a double episode coming up on next week that we'll talk a little bit more about uh, when we're ready to get out of here today. (laughs) But right now, though, uh, the main meat of this episode uh, revolves around the second Kingsman film, which is Kingsman the Golden Circle. Yeah! No. (laughs) 
This film uh, centers around the Kingsmen after their headquarters are destroyed and the rest of the world is held hostage. Their headquarters they... and their sole female agent. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, they journey to an allied spy organization in the U.S. called the Statesmen. The two elite secret organizations must band together to defeat a common enemy. Uh, as mentioned in the intro, the film stars, again, Taron Egerton as Eggsy. Also, Colin Firth makes a reappearance, even though he was killed in the first film. But who gives a shit? And Mark Strong also... Um, this movie explained that, Alex. That's fine. That's That's cool. It's done a bit. Scientifically proven. You know what? I'm kind of cool to go with it because. Hot and cold packs. Yeah. It's got the old Shaquille O'Neal icy hot. Icy hot. <laughs> um, it at least just went for it. So yeah, whatever. Matter. It's and it's not like this is a film that's trying to, you know, go for authenticity like Interstellar or something like that. But so. yeah, I'd rather. <laughs> the film do what it did which is to say no what you saw happened but, but we had something for that instead of being like well what you actually saw was a fake Colin Firth or yeah something. yeah that's actually kind of what I was thinking is that he was going to be like the twin brother or some city slickers two bullshit so um curly's gold <laughs> circle oh my god it all comes full circle oh my god I'm not curly I'm curly's brother Duke what I take pieces of crap bigger than you. Where's Curly? You buried him! <laughs> what the fuck? Oh boy. Yeah. So, uh, also, Mark Strong here again playing the character of Merlin, who is like their command center voice person, whatever. So, uh, we, M. that is true. Well, kind of. He's. I like, mean, he's a Q, he's an M. He's, he's, he's a lower grade. He's more like um, the character that Ben Wishaw plays, which is that. Is that Q is that? Who yeah, that he's is? the new Q. The new Q, yeah. yeah in the new franchise, yeah. Yes, yeah. So he's, yeah. he's more along those lines. Yeah. Think. Yeah. So, anyways, other people making appearances here include uh, Channing Tatum. Sort yeah. Of, sort of. Sort of. It's a small role. It is. Also, Edward Holcroft, who uh, was in the first film and reappears here with a fake arm, which is something. <laughs> also, that equaled the by far best line of the movie. When uh, he receives a new fake arm from Julianne Moore, and she's yeah. like, I call this the Armageddon. And I don't know why. I, I like just that. love that. It seems like your kind of humor. It was. Also, here are, as previously mentioned, Julianne Moore. Michael Gambon makes a really bizarre appearance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, most people probably did. Also, Sophie Cookson returning as Roxy for a few minutes. And then we have the other people who you saw in the trailer, which included Pedro Pascal playing kind of the closest thing to another main character here. Yeah. Uh, he was in it more than Shannon Tatum was. Yes. I mean, he was actually in set pieces. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, if you don't know him, you would probably recognize him from the show Narcos. Hell yeah. Or also, he was also uh, Matt Damon's sidekick in the film The Great Wall earlier this year. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. There you go. And then also Halle Berry, Jeff Bridges, and Elton John were here. He sure was. Elton John was not bad in this. No, I I would agree with that. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was going to be a disaster. The first scene kind of signaled that too, but mm -hmm. I, it was confident enough in pushing forward through that joke. 
and I give it credit. You really just embraced it throughout. Yeah. Because it wasn't... I felt like the first time he called somebody a fucking bitch or whatever, it was like, oh, that was fun because they did that. But the second time is when I was like... His very first appearance, it felt akin to like a Family Guy cutaway. Yeah. Like, we've got Elton John here, and he says a bad word, whatever. But... The more the movie pushes the idea that Elton John is an actual character in this yeah. movie and that he's being driven insane and kind of depressed, I thought that was actually pretty funny. Well, my favorite moment of his is when he's in the fourth little cubicle when she's showing yeah. these stages of the blue rash medicine yeah. or drug. plague or drug or whatever. And he gets the antidote and he turns to this year to you guys. Get the fuck away from me, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> and he just keeps going throughout the entire scene in the background. Oh, that was great. I'll admit my personal. So we just get the Elton John stuff out sure. of the way. My personal favorite moment in the entire film was actually Elton John related, which is when he uses his face to disarm the dog's protocol just because of the way that that was shot. And he actually does just randomly slide his face into the frame with a big goofy grin and that was actually, and it was actually uh for for this film that you know didn't have great script or anything that actually was a really good payoff yes, to earlier in the film. i will agree there were a few other things in this movie where i was like wait what like why would that be like we'll talk about the stupid freezing thing and mm -hmm. whatnot but that was both clever and yet uh just like i want that screen cap of him just <laughs> smiling into the camera <laughs> So, yeah, I'll give it credit. Elton John was uh, definitely a win yeah. for the franchise in this one. I agree. So, uh, we had mentioned that we did the, the original Kingsman film, Kingsman the Secret Service, on our very first Film Tank episode. So, we definitely made a point of it to do the second film, mostly for nostalgic purposes. Yeah. I just uh, really want to take a moment really quick. Probably. This is sentimental. I want to dedicate this episode to the woman I talked to at my job today. I'm a librarian um, <laughs> who I had to describe the condom fingering scene to because she wanted to know if it was appropriate for her 14-year-old to watch this movie. And I hope I guided you on the right path. The, the nice thing is if it went down the exact way you described it to me, pretty much. is you pretty much told her the entire thing without actually saying anything. You let her kind of make yeah, the Yeah, so. I, I, I didn't just like, because I was hesitant to even say anything. And she's like, no, you can say it. I'm like, All right, well, you know, someone puts their fingers into something that doesn't belong to them. <laughs> and she was like, like, like a woman. And I was like, exactly like a woman. But I did not tell her that the camera went with it. <laughs> and that you saw the, you know. Yeah. And you saw inside. Too, so sure that's... did, but that's just educational because it's probably completely accurate. <laughs> it's pretty much the Robert Crown yeah. Center, so that's good. Sure. Like in that 70s show when they're looking at Cosmo and they're like, it's like a map of six flags. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that is like the sex ed I had when I was It's 12. always good to bring up that 70s show reference. Hey, that was my first favorite TV show ever. Yeah. That's why my screen name on anything, uh, what, it was on AIM, it's on the AV Club, my, I actually still have one of my email addresses, is that random phrase, Afro Sponge 88, mm -hmm. because Afro for that 70s show, and SpongeBob for my other favorite <laughs> show at the time. So, uh, Screen names from the AOL age. Man, those away messages, like, I used to spend hours coming up with the, like, I spent <laughs> more time coming up with my away message than I did actually talking to human beings, and let me tell you, I turned out just fine. <laughs> You're yeah. shaking your head, I turned out just fine. 
So uh, I definitely gave this a higher rating, the first film, a higher rating than you did. Yes, you did. Um, and I didn't necessarily love it, but I thought it was at least entertaining throughout, even though Samuel Jackson's lisp was horrible. But that wasn't in this one, so that's, that's, that's definitely true. a step in the right direction. I agree. So to start off, um, I had very low expectations for this film because the first film did nothing to get me overly excited. This was a very bizarre uh, film that did very well at the box office. Uh, it came out in a you know early early 2015 in like around like February or early March maybe, and it performed very well at the box office for its you know pretty modest budget which i think was like 70 million dollars or something like that which for a large blockbuster x film is pretty minor uh so it makes sense why this got a sequel uh i'm i'm surprised that it happened as quickly as it did because usually when it's like a new-ish franchise it takes a while to take off but here we are, just a little over two years later, and already is in the theater and talking about a third one, which seems like a pretty much certainty at this point. And I think at this point, Film Tank cannot end until we know that The Kingsman is over. Yeah. So It could be a while. Yeah, we're here. It could turn into a Bond thing. For the long haul. Oh, man, maybe we get a new Exy. Yeah. I would like could that. Could be. Or at least a new uh, Colin Firth. You know what? Can I say something about... Okay. Taron Egerton and Colin Firth. I really want it. I don't know why, but because this movie, well, this franchise is kind of silly to begin with. Mm -hmm. Like, every time I saw Taron Egerton in this movie particularly, since he's grown up a little bit since the last one, I just think of him actually as a spinning image of a young Colin Firth. He looks a little bit like him, doesn't he? And I'm waiting for, except we can't really do it now because they already, I think in this movie, explained away too much that would contradict it. But I really wish they could go bonkers and, like, in the third movie, they basically say that that's him and his time travel or something like that. Like, he sent his, you know, past self or what. I'm sorry, but he looks just like him. No, and it would be silly, and I would totally be on board with it. Uh, Only because they have this weird likeness that. So, anyway, I just wanted to throw out, like, am I the only person who thinks that they look? No, they look very similar. I've thought that. I mean, it's, it's. I would have never thought it if he just always wore his hat and that right, kind of thing. Right, right. But, when they have him dressed the same way with his hair the same way and the glasses. But I didn't notice it in the last movie. Okay. I think, for me at least, like he still kind of looked like a... I don't know. He just Te- looked... Late teens. Yeah, but here yeah. he grew into what I would say the Colin Firth swag. So, anyway. I would agree. Um, I thought this film was... Uh, fine. Uh, I didn't think this was great. Uh, I don't think either of these films are overly great. Uh, I do think that this definitely has plenty to get you through a viewing if you're looking to be entertained. The problem with this one, which is a different problem than the first film has, is that this turns into a little bit boring at parts, which is really you know disappointing, I would say, because I want to enjoy my entire time here because i'm coming to see crazy stupid shit and i'm in the mindset to just accept whatever this film is going to tell me is going to happen within its universe and we just had a lot of trade negotiation like scenes from star wars (laughs) here and that's that's not what people pay their eight dollars to see (laughs) the 
One problem I think you're addressing is that I think the statesman is actually a good concept, but because we had to like be like because we had to get explanation for the statesman which over and over, which was, was completely kind of, not necessary. Right. Like I'm like I get it. They're the American counterpart. Like it's not that hard. To, but we had to see the boardroom scenes over and over, whatever. Yeah. Like that. That was just uh, that was way too much exposition for something that's pretty much spelled right out there for you. And that's the thing, though, is that you have that whole thing that was just, like, um, I have no fucking idea why Jeff Bridges was in this. Yeah, that was, I guess they just needed that American folk hero to lead it up, but still. I I guess, but, like, you've got Jeff Bridges, like, his character offered absolutely nothing that he's able to bring. And this I thought be, he was going to do something. This should be right in his wheelhouse. Right, right, right. Like, like I knew he wasn't going to go on missions, but I thought, like, maybe... Some final battle would come to his doorstep, so to speak, and he mm-hmm. was gonna like somehow do one little gun or I don't know something. But yeah, I guess you know uh, after R.I.P.D. <laughs> he just thought, his little gunshot. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. cut all of his action beats out in that one. I guess. I mean, he's here. He's got no beard. He's got it's yeah, so. Did not have a beard. No, no, he's completely weird. shaven for the first time in like yeah. twenty years or something like that for a film. Weird. Hmm. What a movie. I know. To lose your beard for. I know. It's this one, too. Uh, But you have that, which is like we get explanation of who he is and why he's here. But then you have another character who's basically the main antagonist or only antagonist here in Julianne Moore, who gets really no background, and that's totally fine. Yeah. And it's fine. We see her throwing a man into a burger thing and turning his skin into a meat burger and making somebody eat it which was very odd and uh bizarre and fitting to that silly organization that she runs and i liked how she was like a very i don't know not a caricature but she was closer to something like dr evil like where she's just so esoteric and uh quirky that i thought it was funny yeah and i could understand that because even though she wasn't my favorite character from this film i definitely enjoyed uh what julian moore brought to the table with that character which she really had not much to work with to be honest with you but it just was the delivery that that made it all work out but for the most part here this is just a very forgettable film that i thought had its moments throughout there were uh, quite a few Scenes here that I thought were somewhat funny, although the humor definitely, as you were mentioning when we were leaving the theater last night, is a little less prevalent in this film. Uh, And we have a couple really nice fight scenes and chase scenes here, Uh, specifically the main fight scene towards the end of the film, which ends the climactic uh, singing of... uh, Country Roads, Take Me Home. The 2017 anthem, <laughs> but the one you stand up for. It's <laughs> pretty much exactly right. Uh, this Just one, sung, really sung by Mark Strong, who is playing a... Uh, Merlin? Yeah, Mark Strong. No, the oh, actor, Mark Strong. I thought Strong. you were saying playing. I mean, I thought no, he's, were... he, Mark Strong, who's playing Merlin. Sorry. But he's a... he's. Is Merlin's character supposed to be English or Scottish or I don't know. And Mark Strong definitely is not that. Right. So it's he's doing he an just accent loves country western. Well, he's doing the accent of a character 
that isn't his normal voice, and then he's trying to sing John Denver. It was just... Yeah, and let me just point out to the audience, in case you haven't noticed this, but this has been the year for John Denver's Country Road, because we had Danny McBride sing it in Alien Covenant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not really give a performance of it, but he certainly brought out a few bars. Uh, in a very charming way. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we had uh, Logan Lucky do an all-out performance where the movie actually stops dead. M- multiple times, actually. Yeah, that's true as up. well. So it's um, like a part of the film. It is. Uh, and then we have this movie that does it in, I guess, in an effort to drive home the... Now, do you think that that... This, this is an actual question, interesting okay. question. Do you think that that's just a weird coincidence that... Yeah. Could not have been avoided. I mean, how could the filmmakers have known that that was going to be? I mean, I guess with Channing Tatum there, maybe, but. <laughs> yeah, um, really. um, no, I think it is a coincidence and just, you know, there's such different movies sci fi versus th- uh, spy versus, you know, uh, comedy. So um, it's just a weird, weird coincidence. Yeah. So overall. Uh, I don't think this is going to be one of our longer episodes because I don't think there's much to really hit on here other than uh, we'll we'll get to talking about the bizarreness of this film's viewpoint of women, which I definitely want to get at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought this was okay. And I think for anybody who's into these kind of movies and wants to spend two hours and 21 minutes with one of them, uh, I think it's, it's worth your time because I think it's entertaining for sure. But um not the greatest. Just another entry. Another entry into a very mediocre series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a weird position here because if anybody's listened to the first episode, I pretty much despised the first film. I just thought it was extremely smug. I thought its action was not as well captured or clever as it thought it was. And I just thought everything about that first movie just rubbed me the wrong way from the anal sex punchline to the satirical bent that I think the film thought was extremely edgy, but was more just um, kind of, I don't know, so, well, like I said earlier, smug and pointless. Um, the, the only thing I will say about the first film yeah. uh, is it was really the... F- breakout role for Sophia Botella, who played the oh, yeah. girl with the, with the fake, without the legs. The fake sharp sore yeah. legs. And she's really broken out since then. Like you talk about just in the last two years, she's played the mummy and the mummy even though the film sucked and was yeah. a bomb. She was also in Atomic Blonde was and she in Star Trek. She was the main uh the main new character in yeah. the last Star Scotty's Trek. Scotty's girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. So so, you know, she really benefited from that. And I actually thought she was one of the better parts of that film just yeah. because her character was interesting with the leg deformity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, other parts of that first film, like Samuel Jackson, Michael Caine, even down to that bizarre I opening. Michael Caine was in it. Yeah. <laughs> You have that bizarre opening scene with Mark Hamill. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, it, yeah, I could, but I know what you're saying about, there's definitely a different tone in the yeah. first film. <laughs> and I think part of it is because in the whole first movie, Eggsy is being introduced to Kingsman, so we have to sit through Colin Firth basically saying why men like Colin Firth are better than everybody else, <laughs> because they do these things and wear these suits and whatnot. You know, manners maketh man. 
yeah, and which I get that that that's the ethos of a James Bond like world. So in the one sense, it's not like it's. I mean, it is somewhat poking fun at that, but it totally believes what it's saying. I think. Um, what I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually like the second movie better. I still don't really like these films, but if I had to rewatch one, it's definitely going to be the second one for me because I thought because we were past the introductions. Um, and Colin Firth was amnesiac for most of this movie. <laughs> um, we didn't have to suffer through these kind of smug uh, diatribes about the Kingsmen themselves, and we were more just exploring the uh, world organization that is this entire syndicate. Well, you also don't have the sort of learning the ropes, going through school yeah. thing, which was... Eerily similar to uh, how uh, Matthew Vaughn's X-Men yeah. uh, first class film felt. Like, it really felt like shot for shot. It was, this is what I did in that movie, so I'm going to have it here with a little twist. Yep. English people. <laughs> and and here, the political edge to this movie is in no way anywhere up to the same, I would say, tone deafness as the first one. Because... And I will say this, I'm going to call out, I think it was Matthew Vaughn, but it's someone who worked on this movie, either executive produced, but I want to say it was Vaughn, uh, or Miller, the guy who wrote it, Mark Miller. Uh, one of them said, and I totally, somebody tweeted as a response to this, which I'm totally, I'm right there, which is that, I think it was Miller or Vaughn that said that they basically erased all mentions of Trump from this script after he won, like they had written it with like a, a lot of joke. Cause of course, if you're going stateside, like that's a big thing happening right now and whatnot and was even during the election. And then when he won, they basically like erase all that, which as uh, somebody's famous tweet now, which was very viral, uh, famously points out. So you blew up president Obama's head, but calling out Trump for being an asshole is too edgy. Like, and I agree, like that's, how I think uh, short-sighted and just tone-deaf their satire is, is that they would stay away from something like that, which, anyway. Um, so, and, but, but I'm glad the, because the, I the, think that's what they're bad at. The is. film like goes out of its way to... And the, the speaking of Star Trek, the, uh, the president is played by Bruce Greenwood yeah. here. And also, too, Fox News is the main news source that we Fox see. Fox News is here. the main news source, and it's also in no way satirizing Fox yeah. News. Like, they, they depicted Fox News as just a straightforward news, which doesn't make any sense coming from this franchise as established from the first film. So, right. this is a weird, I would say, reimagining uh, and recontextualizing yeah. Yeah. how the Kingsmen fit in this modern-day world. Although we do have... Uh, it's not on the same wavelength as the absolutely uh, even more so than anything that was good in this film the seeing at the Westboro Baptist Church uh, with Colin Firth in the first film is probably the one memorable like yeah it's a scene like, everybody talks about right uh, scene from either of these films uh, and you only have one scene that really pokes fun at stupid white asshole yeah. people uh, and it comes kind of out of the field so when it happens it's like oh he just called that man a fucking homophobic slur yeah. or other things and it's like it doesn't seem to fit this movie so. no and the only reason why that scene gets a pass for me is mm -hmm. because it's uh, way more of an echo of 
Eggsy's first barroom scene. Mm-hmm. And so I did like how they were basically saying, like, Americans are, like, the class divide in the exact same. Sure. Uh, it just has a different accent. It just felt I agree that it was weirdly here. harsh, considering the film had toned down what it was doing from the first film, yep. so it felt weirdly out of place. I agree with that, for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, so at the end of the day, because it was not trying as hard, I ended up kind of enjoying it a little bit more. I thought the action was actually... I wouldn't say it was better in this movie, but I think it was edited better. Um, I thought the opening scene, which I thought was actually pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the way it was filmed, uh, I could see everything. I could like go along with every beat, and yet I wasn't always... I mean, there were definitely trying moments, because I do think Vaughn likes to be like, now the camera's over here, and whatnot. Um, well, they, he, he does that silly, fast editing yeah. with this that looks terrible in my opinion i agree so. <laughs> uh i just thought it was slightly chilled here mm-hmm. um compared to like the westboro baptist church which i think is like sped up so to speak um yeah but i feel like that it's a little easier to swallow at least for me when it's just mm-hmm. hand-to-hand combat as opposed to cars driving around a street that makes sense maybe i just appreciated that it went crazy and yeah. um but yeah, that and then the the third act final scene oh, so uh, is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that whole fight scene, which is pretty lengthy and not in a boring way, like it actually just has a nice little rhythm from uh, movement to movement. The nice thing too is uh, we talked about this film having some good payoffs in it. Uh, you have explosions and you know marquees falling as you pay off all of Poppyland, pretty yeah. much getting destroyed, which was awesome. Yep. Yeah, and I gotta say, for Poppyland, that's actually, every scene set in Poppyland was basically my favorite stretch of the movie. I thought that was, like, the best mix of parodying Bond, but also getting it exactly right. Like, Poppyland feels like it's actually from a Bond movie, not just, like, an exaggerated version of a Bond movie. Um, And I thought Julianne Moore's performance of Poppy was fantastic for what little she had. I will remember her way more than I ever will what Samuel Jackson did in the first yeah. movie. Um, so yeah, and everything in between uh, that opening and that ending, I thought had his ups and downs. I thought there were some decent moments, mm-hmm. uh, some boring moments. I guess I just liked the fact that this movie was slightly more relaxed and comfortable in its own skin because I, even as much as I think it's stupid to have... Uh, <laughs> I thought you were just going to end on that. As much as I think it's stupid. No, no, as much as I think it's stupid that Eggsy and, like, the princess of Sweden are, like, in love, I actually am like, you know what, at the end of the day, like, I I criticized it for just reducing her to a joke, which she's in no way a character in this movie, but I'd rather just have him doing Skype calls with her than him making anal sex jokes throughout the entire film. that being her entire character's purpose, too. I mean, she actually becomes a little bit more of a character here and not just, oh, you're you're the girl that Eggsy got to have oh, yeah. butt sex with. Ah. Yeah. And <laughs> um, I will admit, uh, I think the the whole movie can be summed up by the, the ending as far as the wedding goes because I think what I didn't like about the first movie was I thought that this Kingsman tradition was being bought into too rigidly, both by the characters but also by the filmmakers, that this is the way and this is so cool because of it. But because Kingsman 2, which I thought had a pretty chillax vibe throughout, I thought it naturally ended with a wedding, which is kind of a betrayal of what we were told that the Kingsmen should and should not do. Yeah. Um, 
which I, like I'm no I I'm in no way invested in their love story. I just like the fact that they're starting to loosen up the noose on what the Kingsman is and can do. I'd rather just see a fun spy thing with bland characters. Well, it's become a much different franchise yeah. because well, not franchise, but it's become a much different group because you know the whole collection of the Kingsmen and all the old white men sitting around the table are all gone now. And it's right, and at really... least they, I wouldn't say yeah. did something with that idea, but at least they acknowledge that, well, if you do get rid of the old order, you can just do what you want now, and, mm. you know, whatever. So, yeah, I was I was on board. And I to say that, I really didn't even really like this movie that much, but <laughs> um, I would say if you're a fan of the first one, it's definitely worth going to see this. Yeah. Well, and that says something, too, is that you went into this expecting to just completely despise it for the most part. And yeah. not that you loved it or anything like that, but it seems like it was at least tolerable. It was. I and, felt the same way. So. Yeah. And is way too long. Yeah. Um, and yet, even having said that, at least there was something at the best possible moment for what I was probably going to check out forever that it quality wise at least it picked up mm-hmm. every time it needed to yeah so let's hit on a couple things before we go to ratings because again I, I don't think there's much more that either of us can really say about this film than we've already mentioned uh let's talk about the treatment of female characters throughout this little franchise they have here so for the most part they've all gotten killed off yeah and which if you want to compare it to the bond series that does make sense right but um, Sophie Cookson, who is like a somewhat breakout star from the first film, like she was definitely a memorable character being like uh, Eggsy's sort of um, partner, however you want to call her. She ends up making it through with him at the same time and they fact, work together throughout She's it. technically supposed to be better than him, wasn't it? Yeah. I feel like whether that the final, not the final reveal, but like... Yeah. I forget why do they allow two people? Uh, I don't know, but she was a better candidate, than right? She was. And you know, we have her brought back for this film. Um, she was pretty much non-existent in the marketing, which led me to believe that she was not going to last very long in this film, which she obviously didn't. But it, it's not like they went into this deciding to have her just have a cameo and then maybe come back. Like they're showing her for the first right. 20 minutes as being a main character still. Right. And then dead. It's like, this is where we left off, but we need to make room for the men. Right. And the weird part is, is that she's not really replaced by any female characters throughout other than the intermittent girls who come to serve a purpose and then are done away with. Yep. So it's, it's a film, well, short, but the, it, it felt like it went backwards from the first film because again, she was for the most part a main character throughout the entire. She was, of the first but film. the third act of the first movie also threw away the goodwill before I got to the second movie because the third yeah. act of the first movie, after she's been basically named as the best candidate, mm-hmm. sends her up in a balloon and says, "Wait there while the men do the mission." <laughs> like it really does. And, yeah. Um, so I think by that point, I, that's why I kind of feel like this is just on par with what they've done in the past. Yeah. Um, I mean, you also look at the uh, who, who's sister, Kara Delavine's sister. Yeah, she plays that character who's obviously in the the Golden Circle, and we see her tramp stamp Golden yeah. Circle, which 
makes no sense. Yeah, I don't, um, anyway. it's just kind of a silly haha thing. Uh, but we basically have her as a sex ploy here, and right. she's used as a sex ploy at al- uh, almost like a fat bastard level from Eggsy. And it's, yes, yeah. but then she is killed the minute a male character thinks, finds out. Well, like thinks of her as like scum because of her actions or whatever. Yeah, which. Like I, you know, women in, in these films are basically designated as to either have sex with males or die. Like those are really the only two ways. If you do not have sex, you will not get out of this alive. Oh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. By the way, uh, her name in real life is Poppy Delavine. Uh, Poppy? <laughs> what? I know. Poppy Land. So she. <laughs> Very good. Yes, yeah, she is the. Uh, she is the older. Uh, sister of Cara Delevingne, so yep, yeah. So that it just yeah, no, it's it's regressive and it's silly. And for a movie like Kingsman, which I think is trying to upend decades of misogyny and patriarchal bullshit that the James Bond franchise has pushed, yeah. Honestly, I would probably take a lot of Bond girls over any of the women that show up in these films because at least some of them are actually given some agency. Like, they're not in any way... But when you compare them to the women of Kingsman, A, the sheer number alone has them beat. I don't mean just number of films, but, like, there's usually at least, like, two or three in one movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And B, what they get to do, I mean, you know, even some of the old ones, like, uh, I'm going to forget, but, like... You know, um, Emma Peel from uh, what is it? Honor Majesty's Secret Service as mm-hmm. uh, Tracy Bond and a uh, few others that are actual human beings in a sea of uh, people to be bedded. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we saw the the last the well, definitely uh, Skyfall, which is one of the better James Bond films, went way backwards with uh, the female characters in it. It did. Uh, and, um, and then actually, Severin, yeah, yeah, and then we actually had Spectre also start out very poorly, which yeah, it it gets a little bit better when at Leia least said, Bond has a yeah. has a Judy Dench for a while at end. Yeah. Like that's a yeah. better female character than anybody that's shown up in uh, any of these uh, Kingsmen. And... Well, yeah, no, I mean the this is a completely male even and even. Halle Berry's character discusses being marginalized at her job, and yeah. you even have... And um, yet she's kind of, I think, like, expected to dress up tomboyish? Yeah. Like, I guess, I don't know what's better, like, putting her in a miniskirt, or, like, saying, like... You know, kind know. of damned if you do, damned if you don't yeah. at that point. Yeah. But she does deliver the line kind of awkwardly to Mark Strong here, where she says something like, have you ever wanted more? And Hebert responds, no, this is great. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's a very and bizarre they say moment. in that scene that uh, the character of Tequila, played by Channing Tatum, is the reason why she's not allowed to go in the field because he votes against her every time. And then the movie never mentions that again, <laughs> which is weird. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that is quite bizarre. <laughs> but, you know. <sighs> so... Um, anything else that you'd like to discuss before moving on? I think we've we've hit on the main parts we want to discuss. There might be a couple yeah. things I'm missing. No? Okay. I, I can't think of something. Yeah. We've hit on Elton John and yeah. the female characters, and we've hit on some of the action sequences. What did you, um, what did you think? 
what we're talking about action sequences. What did you think about? Loved it. Uh, we don't even have to talk about it. Good, great. What did you think about the uh, moment when uh, the two characters of it's not Tequila, the guy who gets killed, who's like the double agent? What's his name? Um, whiskey? Is that it? No, whiskey. Yeah, it is whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Whiskey and Eggsy yeah. are going down in the ski lift, but it starts spinning around for whatever reason. Yeah, that scene was weird because <laughs> okay, well, it wasn't weird at first. At first, I was just like, "Huh, oh, that's funny" or whatever. But it was weird because all that is happening is they're spinning around and they're freaking out like this is going to be a catastrophe. And all I'm thinking is like, have they never been to a carnival? Because that's the Graviton. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know why that was designated well, as like the... like And I'll be all yeah, uh, like, you're fucked. We, yeah. Because if anything, I'm like, like before anything even really happened, I'm like, okay, so they're just going to get, you know, centrifugally stuck to the sides. And yeah, I don't know. It was just weirdly blown out of proportion. And it lasted a long time. It did. And you have them cutting the cable and flying down towards the old folks' home that's there for whatever reason. Yeah. And the guy who said he has had the first good shit in months. Now that was comedy. <laughs> okay. Man, that guy was like TBS because he knows comedy. <laughs> Thank you. It's gold. Uh, it's gold, Jerry. Go. <laughs> it's gold circle. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Um, oh, speaking, oh of, remember. speaking of lines, uh, how about we have the tee up from Colin Firth uh, telling Elton John that he's saved the world and uh, and Elton John replying with, oh, anytime you want to come to a concert, I'll give you a backstage pass. And hey, I was that's like, what musicians do. <laughs> there was nothing compared to the, whatchamacallit, Delavine's sister uh, randomly saying, you can pee on me. <laughs> Like, what is it with the women that Eggsy meets that, I'm not kink-shaming, but that are this outright uh, sexually adventurous? Women aren't like that in real life. I'm not saying that they aren't no, or I'm that just, they I'm are. Just, I'm just saying it's... But it's, 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 why does Eggsy somehow bring this out of them upon meeting them for only two seconds? Yes. You can pee on me. That's fine. It's whatever you want. Like if you take that line, you're it's basically the same moment and it's played for much differently. But uh and uh forgetting Cyril Marshall. <laughs> Do you want to gag me? You can gag me. What no, I don't I don't want to. No, I sit, and it gets towards the end he's like uh, no, Do you want to gag me? Kind of kind of Yeah. But anyway, but like yeah. yeah, that's a normal reaction to a bizarre mm-hmm. uh but yeah, I don't anyway, that's just another way that Yeah, yeah there's a lot of awkward poor lines in this movie which um, oh yeah i will say i haven't mentioned it yet uh (laughs) but you don't cast channing tatum and not let him dance oh he had a dance scene no he didn't and here's the thing matthew vaughn loves to do his elaborate fight choreography which fight choreography is dance like that's what it is when you're filming it and i can't believe so if he's not in the third movie like Front and center, doing flips off wall. I will burn this house down. <clears throat> Please don't do that. I will burn it down. Okay. Um, I I think that this is clearly set up to have a third film where he's playing. I mean, I'm sure. Uh, even the, the final, the scene? final Denouement scene is him walking into yep. the Kingsman wearing a suit and a hat and everything, which I don't so. quite get. So he's joining the Kingsman. I think so. Which I didn't think that's how it worked. 
Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to like get too into it, but I'm just surprised it wasn't the same scene, but just him wearing a cowboy hat. Like, yeah. why, why does he have to, anyway? Because they wouldn't have bought it because they're in England, don't you see? I see, but when they went to... They still wore the same outfits. Right. Yeah. yeah. All they know. did was put a nice little coat over it. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be pretty clear that the third film is going to get made, probably in pretty short order, too, like two years. Like, I could see late summer 2019 for sure having the third film of this getting knocked out. And to... Uh, I think part of Channing Tatum is that he's actually had a pretty busy year or so, so that makes sense of why he only had a small role in this film. And True. maybe like I was saying to you yesterday, they planned on using him in a potential third film yeah. and wanted to introduce him in a way here All and right. then. Just make it worth it. Okay, I know you need your Channing Tatum up in I there. Do. So, yeah. so, in terms of final ratings, I will give Kingsman the gold circle, golden circle, pardon me, a two and a half out of five is I think it's a um, passable film, but not anything that I would call great. Uh, I definitely would think it's a better film than Mother, even though I give them the same rating. Uh, But at the same time, um, I thought there was plenty here that was at least fun, enjoyable, and funny enough uh, to sit through the two-hour, 20-minute runtime. So two and a half out of five for Kingsman, The Golden Circle for me. Moving on to Nick. Yeah, I uh, I was surprised that I enjoyed this more than the first film. I, I really don't care for either one, but this was the first time where I watched a movie in this uh, franchise and thought I could understand why people like it. So for me, it's two out of five stars. Like It's just south of the border of what I would at least call marginally acceptable. But uh, at the end of the day, there's still some good scenes in it, so I'd recommend it to anybody who even has a passing interest in uh, this kind of blockbuster. Yeah, good stuff. Any thoughts out there in podcast land that you would like to send on to us? <laughs> Hi, folks. You're <laughs> in podcast land. No, that's fun. That's an interesting voice. It sounded like it's, it's... Wow. My fellow podcasters. I don't mm-hmm. know what that one is. That was Ross Perot again? Oh, Maybe. No. No? Okay. Uh, You can always send on thoughts to this or any other film we've talked about or we haven't talked about to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or you can find us as well occasionally on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. So as I mentioned earlier, moving into October, we're going to hit on some more horror-esque films at least. Uh, Definitely planning on doing the new Jigsaw film. I will probably do at least one other horror film uh, in addition to this episode I'm about to tease here. Hey, Alex. Uh Uh-huh. What holiday is coming up next month? Halloween. (laughs) Oh, because we're doing that on the next episode. Yeah, Ah. I was trying to tee you up. Yeah. It's funny you should say that, Nick. You're wearing an orange shirt and everything. Like, you're ready for this, and I'm just failing. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to do a double episode. Double, double. Uh, And it's not the first two Halloween films. No. It's the first Halloween film, which is the classic, directed by John Carpenter. And then the uh, 2007 uh, remake of... I call it reimagining. Yeah. That sounds silly. The original Halloween... Uh, which is directed by Rob Zombie and stars Malcolm McDowell. So um, it'll be an interesting take on both because both are the same 
material, but yeah, it's just obviously like, different visions. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like the same. It, it, it's like imagining an actor give two actors give the same monologue but with different accents. Um, and I think they're both valuable. And certainly, yeah, Carpenter is a genius and zombie. I don't think I've watched anything else by him, and I really have no interest in it. But I liked, uh, and we'll talk about it, but what he has to offer to a uh, pretty threadbare mythology to begin with. So it's not like yeah. uh, Carpenter created some like lavish text that can be interpreted in many different ways. So, yeah. Well, um, yeah. I, I'm interested to talk about both of them, though. I think it's going to be a... Uh, not that it's going to be similar, but uh, I'm thinking back to our old days from many, many years ago. We had our first double episode talking about the first RoboCop and the uh, RoboCop that had just come out. And yeah, they were different movies. They so. were. They were. <laughs> so, again, something to look forward to on episode 129 as we get into the horror movie season talking about 19... 19- What's the first Halloween? What's the 78? year? 1978? 1978's John Carpenter Halloween and 2007's Rob Zombie Halloween. And as I mentioned before, our email address is always open. So if you have any thoughts on either or both of those films, feel free to send them on to us. And uh, if we see them before we record our episode, maybe we'll talk about them then. 78. Look at this guy Look on his that. fucking game. Look at that. Thank you very much to Nick Cheney. Uh, no, and, thank you okay. for having me. Yes, and from myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for catching up with us. As always, here at Film Tank, we will catch up with you next time.